Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. I can be distant and unavailable. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 405. Empathological Fallacies comes to you now via another yard of anything glowing and green. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Just yesterday, Pete, we were discussing the penultimate season, series, episode of Ahsoka in what I think was an absolutely delightful conversation about just pros and cons of the story, where it's headed, predictions and so forth. It was glittering with a blue force ghost magic. <laughs> Can't wait for the finale here and then to discuss it with our listeners and the silver lining, Matt, uh, the Dave Filonis of this world, and all the other writers returning to work. Indeed, Pete. Uh, as soon as tomorrow, uh, writing rooms like Grey's Anatomy and some of the NCISs will be back to work. So culture is saved. High culture has been saved. With the writers back to work, Pete, they will need actors to perform those things soon. And the actors will be meeting with studio heads uh, tomorrow. So fingers crossed there on a speedy resolution. Let's get that done, Matt. In the meantime, Loki season two starts to stream this week, 9 p.m. Pacific time on uh, Thursday, October 5th. We, of course, will be bringing that to you. But before that, we have a season two preview scheduled for our listeners coming tomorrow marvel monday indeed and speaking of marvel monday let's just talk schedule for the next couple of weeks so as you mentioned pete tomorrow october 2nd marvel monday doing the loki season two preview next weekend uh will be more of what we have been doing star wars saturday for the ahsoka season finale star trek sunday for lower decks 406 and then marvel monday continuing on october 9th to talk loki episode 201 then after that pete a week of dates on the move on friday the 13th of october we're gonna be doing the ahsoka season wrap and then we will be debuting uh, our new weekend schedule for the duration of these two shows is going to be Marvel Saturdays starting October 14th for Loki episode 202. And Star Trek Sundays are going to remain for the rest of Lower Decks. So again, this upcoming weekend, the way it has been, the weekend after that, Marvel Saturdays, Star Trek Sundays. And one more asterisk, since that weekend, that middle weekend in October there... We will be going to New York Comic Con. We're going to hit those dates. Like I said, Ahsoka Friday, Loki Saturday, Star Trek Sunday. But we're going to be recording those a little early. So if you like sharing feedback with us, uh, please do so on social media or email as soon as possible to make the, the cutoff there as we schedule some fun. Schedule the first New York Comic Con that you and I will both be at uh, since pre-COVID. And Matt, back to the final frontier here as um, Patrick Stewart's autobiography is due to hit the shelves. News now that he's pushing for a Picard movie? That is out there along with claims out of the studio that Paramount really, really, really honestly is still working on Kelvin 4. 
they're um, super serious this time. Yeah. With the 11th different writer that now returns to a laptop. Huh. Yeah. I've said it before and I'll say it again. And look, there's whole things I don't understand about the world of business and Wall Street and all this. So, so if I'm if anyone can clarify out there, please, please email and clarify. But if Ford comes out and says, coming out in two years, hover cars. And if Apple comes out and says, in two years' time, the iPhone will uh, merge with your soul or the hollow eyeballs or whatever. And then in two years' time, these companies say, ah, oh, actually, nope, no, and none of it ever happened. None of it, the work was not happening on it, or we never really had plans for that timeline. Project canceled. I feel like that's securities fraud. When a Hollywood studio does it and announces, oh, Kelvin Ford's going to happen, but it has no writer and it has no actors, uh, and then that date comes and goes, I guess that's okay because creative West Coast people. Um, I think that's what's going on here with Kelvin Ford still. We're still developing it. Yeah, you can, you can throw $100,000 a year developing a project and it's not canceled but it's also not actually being worked on conversely if patrick stewart is saying i'd like to meet with a studio person to talk about my picard movie and they're gonna have me in for a half hour and we're gonna have tea and uh you know we're gonna have a lovely conversation that's different but that doesn't mean the paramount is actually working on either i have seen uh, a new writer attached to it i want to say i even saw a quote this week but again, Matt, as, as you are emphasizing, um, this project has been in development hell. They cursed this thing the week that Star Trek Beyond came out in uh, July of 2016 when they said, uh, yeah, and coming back to the franchise uh, to play George Kirk again, uh, Chris Hemsworth, and here we are. On top of that, that you already had Uhura, Spock, then they added Lieutenant Kirk, and now they have a Scottish engineer on Strange New Worlds, and the confusion amongst the casual fan that will go on, if that ever hits while Strange New Worlds is going on, is going to be off the charts. We're, we're going to be back to... Why is uh, Amelia Clark playing Ray with uh, Han Solo and Donald Glover on the Millennium Falcon? I would even look. I know this is an old-fashioned idea, Pete. Uh, that of the the mid-budget movie. I'd rather, I'd rather do. I'd rather take elements of Strange New Worlds, whether it's that whole cast, whether it's just the Enterprise people, some combination therein. I'd rather say we're doing a 30 million dollar uh you know movie with that that's a star trek prequel of sorts whatever you want to call it do it there have it you know it's gonna be in theaters for six weeks and on paramount plus or something like that something that's more than you know a grand tv movie um i'd rather stick in the prime universe is what i'm trying to say and pete while we're talking about star trek movies and this isn't even on our notes let's not forget that there still is the the section 31 movie yes. that's going to be made for place whether place <laughs> is theater or place is paramount plus um i think let's... you're looking at limited theatrical run on that and you know obviously 
permanent until that changes home on Paramount Plus. Uh, but yeah, like get the actors done, get these things going. But I think it's really silly that they're out there talking about Star Trek four when all these studios have now pivoted to prioritizing things. Obviously we're not going to be in, you know, the, what people have dubbed platinum TV era with, you know, over 500 scripted offerings. We get it. They made a deal and there's concerns about financing and all that, but yeah, just seems kind of silly that of all the projects that they're, prioritizing you know they're bringing up this uh now seven year overdue star trek movie and look with with everybody kind of at a new starting line which is you know back to work for the writers and let's just you know pick a pick x day when the writers are settled and they're back to work as well obviously pre-existing contracts still are there and if you're in the middle of something then i'm assuming you're just suspended now you're back to it and so forth here's my point pete I hope the section third. I genuinely hope the section thirty-one movie doesn't get dealed away, for lack of a, of a better phrase. Just in terms of like, oh man, now Michelle is not available, or we are repro. I would just, I, I would hope that in in all of this, that doesn't disappear as well. But if there's one studio I could see doing it, it would be Paramount yes. going, oh man, it just didn't work. Empty pockets out. I don't know what happened. What happened? Um, so who knows with any of this, I suppose. It was bad enough that the two writers elevated to showrunners when that was still a series went through all the planning and preparation and they were about to cast. And obviously nobody foresaw a pandemic, um, but that they're not even in on the made for TV movie. Okay. And then you look at the platform that that's going to offer uh, an Academy Award winner now in Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, if if they don't get this done, and, and that one's obviously closer and more at hand than this Kelvin movie. But uh, let's just hope, Matt. Let's let's send good uh, telepathic thoughts that all this Star Trek goodness we hope for can uh come to pass just like the nicholas meyer con scripted podcast announced 13 months ago for now pete let's head stab me in the heart before (laughs) uh for now for this episode uh before it disappears let's head into the ready rundown program complete enter when ready to lynn is space emailing back her vulcan ship The Cerritos is escorting three boozy Beta Z diplomats who are ready to rock and roll with Ransom, or Freeman, or whatever. Talyn isn't loving the freewheeling Beta Zs who all stop by Sick Bay, then next stop the bar where the crew is partying too. But back to Talyn's message, she would like to return to the Vulcan ship, please. But she can't press send, there's a full security blackout. She goes to the party for more info, but the energy and emotional outbursts are amping up even beyond Cerrito standards. Freeman calls for calm. What is causing this sort of naked time, naked now situation? Why is it getting worse? Talyn thinks it's being caused by the Betazoids. Xanthi fever, perhaps? Freeman takes the guests back to sickbay. We hear the Betazoids telepathically talking about something secret, but in sickbay they all check out. Freeman, however, will not let them leave. What's going on? 
The Beta Zeds drop their cover, attacking the staffers and taking Freeman to the bridge. They reveal that they're officers of Betazoid intelligence, but there's a fight on the bridge. The BIA ladies quickly dispense with the crew and admit that they're telepathically sneaking for clues about those mysterious quadrant attacks. In sickbay, Ta'ana frees herself, Mariner, and Talin. The tricorder showing that the source of the disturbance is Talin. It's Bendy syndrome, usually for the elderly, not 62-year-olds like Talin. The Betazoids are going to take the Cerritos through the neutral zone, and Freeman tricks one into reading a memory of smack talk between the Zoids. As they fight, Freeman hits the red alert button. Meanwhile, Boimler can only remember most of the crew names, so he's not going to the aforementioned Betazoid party without memorizing everyone. Rutherford steps away, telling Shax that Boimler's a candidate for the program. Shax and Boimler find a quiet corner and a room with security officers practicing slam poetry. But it's not hitting home with Boimler, who is hoping for war games, not poetry games. Next stop, the ritual. Make a choice, puzzle or tarot, or both. Tarot is all about the rebirth cards, and security is about more than just training. With Freeman hitting the red alert button, security rushes to phasers and action, all while the crew learns Talin as the cause. She and Mariner hole up in a closet. Talin reaches out telepathically, calming Mariner. Talin feels like she isn't Vulcan enough, sharing her recklessly emotional backstory. But Mariner notes that Talin saved her ship, and Talin relaxes, since she's Vulcan as a mamajama. Logic, boy! Her emotional field fades and the crew calms. The security team storms the bridge, taking out the Beta Z secret ops easily. The Cerritos turns away from the neutral zone just in time, disappointing that cloaked Romulan ship. At Risa, Boimler's learned an important lesson. Security can be emotional as well as physical. Next stop, puzzle time. Meanwhile, the Betazoids and Freeman laugh off the similarities between Betazoid telepathic projection and Vulcan telepathic projection. And here's a fuzzy picture of that pearlescent threat. At the bar, Mariner and Talin relax, and Talin opts not to send her message, happy to stay on the USS Cerritos. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with that, uh, that season-long threat of, of what I'm calling the pearlescent ship. Yes, the small vessel committing unprovoked attacks on ships across the quadrant. So now we have a little bit more to narrow down what's gone on, what's happened to uh, Romulan and Orion and Klingon ships. Um, I appreciate that they continue to kind of develop it each week. I still do slightly call into question the preseason notion of someone, a producer on the show, saying this is the first time we've ever done a serial season. Look, they give little updates on it each week. I don't know that it's, you know, it's not, you know, episode five of people saying I'm still working on the scan and I'll have more information next time. Um, but it's this is a slightly different season of Lower Decks, a show that doesn't need much uh, mixing up as it is. And I think uh I'm certainly appreciating we're headed to the second half. We're going to learn more and so forth. And of course, this week, Pete, we learn a little, little bit more uh, due to another threat. Those undercover Betazoid uh, ladies, drunken ladies and so forth. <laughs> the intelligence officers uh, undercover as uh, glorified diplomatic 
socialites here. I thought it was a fun way to bring that in, that they were really on a mission to telepathically pick up on this season-long threat. Yeah, for as much as it kind of presented as a madcap story detail, as, as much as it was like, what if what if horny Loxana was also drunk and times three um, for as much as, again, for as much as it kind of presented as a lower decks animated, silly adventure. I like this as a story conceit that you're going to take these telepathic people and you're going to rather publicly shuttle them around. Like, you know, what's their diplomatic mission. Okay. That's kind of secret. And there's, there's intelligence blackouts, but everyone's clear that there are these drunk VIPs going around the quadrant doing party stuff and hidden in that they're actually um you know it's actually a a betazoid can i also assume thus by influence uh a federation uh, motion here to investigate this very weird this very unquantified series of attacks It, it checks all the boxes for lower decks it checks all the boxes for kind of authentic star trek and you know, of course, the two have been married in a madcap, amusing fashion. Like you said, it squares right in Lower Decks uh, fashion that they would play around with a threat like this. And ultimately, the idea of emotions, whether it's a a virus naked now style or, uh, you know, you bring in the idea of uh, the Vulcan um, uh, Bendy syndrome that Sarek had. Um, and all right, it's somehow broadcast out from the crew. You make the misdirect of, oh, everybody thinks it's the uh, empathic people, but it's not. Yeah, and the we, we spoke just yesterday on the Ahsoka podcast about how I and you uh, alike appreciate it when when a story acknowledges something that's slightly over the top. Uh, with Ahsoka, it was it's astronomical that we're going to go to the spot we have to. Oh, look, we did. We acknowledge how crazy it is. Same thing here. I love how they slip in at the end of the episode. You know, oh, it's so crazy that Betazoid telepathic projection and Vulcan telepathic projection got confused. Ha ha ha. Uh, yeah, it's two. It's the same story tool that have been used at different points uh, in the same original show, uh, which is say Next Generation. Uh, and they're dusting both off here. And they're, you know, again, it's kind of like it, it, it's a super similar thing, but we're going to acknowledge it. And um, I, I don't know. I appreciated that that call out at the end to just say, yeah, we know that we, we know that we took two very similar things and kind of, kind of hit it from you, the audience. And that's part of the fun of it. Well, long before Talin's brain, we had Spock's brain. That we did. So we're, you know, you, again, you can kind of see the DNA of where pieces of this episode came from. I, I appreciate that in, in, in a certain sense, we got our Talin episode this week. Um, certainly with her narrating it and her mini story arc of, um, wanting to leave and at the end wanting to stay and understanding that she has a place here and all of that. Um, it's, it's a very grounded arc that she has while we have horny drunk betazoids running around and while we have the, the very able B plot of, 
you know, card games and the like in the security downtime office and all of that. Um, again, there's this backbone of not just Talyn's brain, Pete, but also Talyn's heart. Pete, let's scan with our long-range sensors to look for some theories. Is Talyn with Lower Decks now to stay? I, I think so. And I think that the way that they have used her narratively this season um i think that i don't think that lower decks i don't think that our core four was getting stale after 30 episodes i think the show didn't want to get stale and thus said it's time to add a fifth lower decker it's time now that we have established bonds between our two primary ones mariner and boimler and our two right up there ultra supporting ones uh with tendy and rutherford and kind of what you can, how you can use them for a story in that most of the time Rutherford uh, and Tendi will be in the B plot and Mariner and Boimler in the A plot. Let's mix this up before it gets stale. Let's make Talyn the fifth beetle, if you will. Um, I know some people online were saying, you know, I feel like this is taking away from the core four interactions that I'm used to. Again, I think that Talyn is there. Talyn is there not to exit at the end. I think Talyn is there to just have us look back and say there was 30 episodes where it was the four of them. And then there was 30 more episodes where it was the five of them. And, and then, then the show got really good in season seven through 12. I like the way they have our beta zoids heading to Risa, but from angel one, <laughs> um, <laughs> good old angel one. That's the, that's the female dominated planet. If I recall yes. correctly, there we go with Riker with the open shirt, Riker, the shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we could say that the angel one episode was not the worst episode of that season <laughs> of next generation by, by far looking at you code of honor. Um, so yeah, it certainly was a fun, a fun call out. And they, those beta zoid ladies probably did some damage on angel one. We'll just leave it at that. And they get to a Starfleet vessel where we reference that the carpeting is perfect to pass out on <laughs> this after all the discussion recently, long term, about carpeting on sets that are supposed to be spaceships. Look, I had the the, the Enterprise D bridge is that's my star trek bridge you know that's the one i grew up with to me that's always going to be perfect there's no flaws there it's well lit unlike the bridges in the picard series um i have no complaints i think it does look comfy uh i know there's the slam it's it's a dentist's office and things of that sort to me it's, it's to me that's the ideal that we should all aspire to um so yeah, they're just if anything, they're just saying this is this is a great place to be yourself, even if you are uh, undertaking the persona of a you know diplomatic glorified socialite who's going to pass out. Are you aware of the problems with the Star Trek Picard season three home releases regarding the Enterprise D effects? No. Yeah, so the DVDs, the Blu-rays went out, and some of them have, uh, in the uh, final episode, um, the last generation, have a substandard 
digital double of the Enterprise D that people were immediately like, oh, this is a really bad effect, or I don't remember this on the broadcast. Some have the European version of it. Some have what uh, was streamed in North America. Uh, apparently, some are corrected. I was going to purchase my copy, and then I was like, oh, I better wait till they sort this stuff out. I'm reminded of when Next Generation was uh, remastered into HD. Uh, it's like CBS did seasons one, two, six, and seven, and then chopped out the middle seasons or something like that. And there was an episode that where the Blu-ray went to market where when the Enterprise shows up at whatever planet, the planet is not rotating. Um, <laughs> now this got fixed in the digital version when the digital version hit you know netflix and now now paramount plus that got fixed but um i guess these things happen but i don't know how you want to say in the in the course of uh remastering and redoing all the special effects for 172 episodes of next generation across two studios one shot got messed up okay that i understand if your sole job is to do a, a season i mean how many it's probably two discs right for 10 episodes maybe three discs you got the effects wrong before you did final export to the disc writer or whatever. That's just, that's just sloppy. I believe I read as well on some of the discs, the final episode is not on the last disc. It's on the middle disc. <sighs> you know what, Pete? Yeah. Hold off, hold off for, <laughs> hold off for six months. Then, then yeah, I know they're doing replacements, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to wait a little bit on this one because right now uh we have a paramount plus uh subscription and i can turn that on until they decide uh star trek picard is no longer on paramount plus which they can always do that but back to this episode matt the new information that cations used to hunt betazoids and the hilarity it brings in this episode yeah um it's a fun little subplot I think that I would be interested to learn more. I would bet that the next time somebody dusts off that factoid, maybe it's slightly recontextualized as not, not, you know, not as horrific as it could be. Um, but certainly it, it, look, I'm a big fan of the Cations as a species and, uh, to learn more about them, uh, anytime you learn more about them, uh, that, that, that's, that's welcome to me. Um, Maybe it was just written to give Dr. Ta'ana more to do other than say, we're going to run scans on you because when they first show up, there's, I think they don't even, they're, they're on tour. Then later they return to sick bay for proper scans and so forth. So maybe it was just a bit of, you know, a couple of lines to throw Ta'ana's way. I'm not saying it's not accurate. It's presented as canon, but, um, but yeah, fun nonetheless. Well, then that she drinks before surgery, but it's gotta be synthahol, right? Um, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, <Okay>. yes, D <laughs> doubtless to Lynn. I mean, she's an outrageous character, but, you know, I don't think we're meaning to imply that a professional in Starfleet, uh, boozes it up before, uh, you know, going into, uh, the, the surgical suits, right? Well, uh, 
could it be that maybe the surgery how about this way we could we can have our cake and eat it too without killing it not to mix metaphors here maybe the surgery was and i'm gonna go sit with nurse westlake as we practice sutures on a banana you know like it's not real surgery so she could be a little tipsy although if she's on duty she shouldn't be but let's just stick with Cynthia hall pete because dr taana um might be fire in the holodeck but she's nothing but a great doctor in the four walls of sick bay what's up with all the merps <laughs> um yeah i gotta chuckle i look there's obviously there's um there's a fairly wide library of background characters at this point not all of whom have been named and so forth um to have kind of a common thread through them maybe it's a maybe that too is a remnant of uh of the writing room you know like they're just they're nicknamed big merp you know sleepy merp things of that sort um now they have official star trek names or official star trek nicknames um i'm certainly a fan of it well maybe we talk about the background character matt that's created massive controversy this week look it's it's crazy that there are some people freaking out that there's a character in the background that there's a star fleet officer wearing a hijab uh i think we can all recognize in our world you know are there from every religion there's things that we might agree with or disagree with but in the star trek future you're free to practice religion as you want and if if wearing a hijab uh works for that officer that should be the extent of it, particularly from a Star Trek audience. And I would hope that by further extension, a Star Trek fan would say of uh, of religious iconography of any sort in, in the present day, if that is your choice to wear it, uh, then you can celebrate that choice even if you don't completely understand it or even if there's elements of that religion that you don't, that you also don't understand or you don't necessarily agree with, um, particularly if it's, defined by gender and so forth but yeah a lot of a lot of people spilling a lot of digital ink when it should be i celebrate the rep i celebrate the the real representation on screen the real world representation on screen and i celebrate the fictional characters ability to worship as they want and for anybody who says because here's the here's the weakest argument of all there shouldn't be religious things on your uniform Oh really? Oh really? It's only in all of Deep Space Nine right. and all of Star Trek: The Next on Generation. The show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How is it any different from Shax's earring? Okay. That Bajorans wear. Um, is it my misunderstanding, Matt, that the implication is immediately one of religious significance, or is it also one of austerity is it is it one of all right i'm not gonna show my hair i think that the 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 concern by some in the real world is perhaps kind of the intersection of religion and gender and and what some might view as uh oppressive practices again i'll just default to if you are making your choice to practice religion a certain way or as you were saying pete perhaps it, perhaps this character as presented in the 24th century perhaps it's not religious as much as it is let's say cultural uh if one can separate the two uh and, and i would propose just forward looking maybe 300 years from now one can separate those two things 
um you know again it's to me it just defaults to a personal choice issue and it's not anti-star trek to be okay with people's choices if you don't agree with them and it's not anti-star trek certainly to say that you you're not allowed to modify your uniform despite the fact uh, Pete, now that you've name-checked Shaxx, we've had three series where people have done that. And if you want to include Chakotay's tattoo, perhaps as not religious, but as cultural, well, now we're up to four series where there's been uh, personal presentation modifications, if you will. So a lot of this just a really disappointing uh, kind of tribal us-versus-them discussion online when Star Trek fans should do better. Not even the first time Lower Decks has done something like this. They had a Sikh uh, crewman with a turban on. Uh, Star Trek is better for this representation. Pete, with that hopefully dealt with, what other theories do you have? Dr. Miglamo has the replicator make soup that is already regurgitated. <laughs> Uh, or faux regurgitation. Um, <laughs> faux regurgitated. <laughs> I do appreciate, and this is not. I'm. I'm in no way trying to besmirch uh, mental health professionals in this dramatic presentation where everything is fake, including the Birdman living in space eating magic box food. I love the contrast of. Oh, and let's also say he's under the influence of an alien telepathic field, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I love the contrast here that the therapist is having a very public meltdown over, uh -huh. you know, his, his fast food order not being correct. It, Pete, it makes this avian character much more human. You're okay. He's okay. Matt, to Lynn, only 62, yet already suffering this syndrome that elderly Vulcans like Sarek, I would believe he was in his two hundreds, uh, suffered. Was she, can, can we say definitively that she was suffering from this Vulcan ailment or was it the same symptoms, but caused by stress? I, I mean, they gave you the age they name checked the syndrome. All right, hand of the writer, it abated when she resolved her issue, which is a little convenient as well. I don't remember it being that, uh, you know, easy to wave away with Sarek. Um, but to me, it was heavily implied it was the case. Um, if that is the case moving forward, uh, whether we see further symptoms or not, perhaps it is evidence that Talyn is meant to stay here because she might look in the mirror and say, oh my goodness, I am an early onset Bendy syndrome person. Can you imagine if I make my way back to a Vulcan ship and have an outburst there, then it's going to be treated like the plague, or at least on the Cerritos. <laughs> at least on the Cerritos, worse comes to worse, people just make a somewhat naked pyramid um and and throw game pieces at each other in the bar that's the extent of it which you know uh when it's not a telepathic outbreak sometimes that's just a thursday afternoon on the cerritos boimler seems like he might have a future in security we had bold boimler at one point um you know he's he's the guy amongst our uh lower deckers that seems the least 
cut out for it, but seems to be setting himself up for a possible future there. I do think that now that we have their promotions squarely behind them, at least the promotion to Lieutenant Junior Grade, um, in this episode, perhaps in the last episode, the characters are lacking a little bit of forward trajectory, which I think is probably in line with you just got a promotion. You're not going to reasonably, you know, uh, expect one in the next six months unless you're Jim Kirk. Um, so I think while the, you know, while the story's focus is not, let's go do this mission to the best of our abilities because we don't always want to be lower deckers. Um, you know, we can suspend that as a story tool for a couple of episodes. I mean, heck, my expectation is now that we're heading to the second part of the season, this pearlescent ship threat is going to pick up so that that might take the place of you know uh boimler being all kind of neurotic to make sure that everybody you know you think back to the one with the the ring world uh you know to make sure everybody's doing their job correctly like you know we don't need to do that right now again uh because he's probably going to be a lieutenant junior grade for the next several seasons next this season and next something like that and now that they have a photo a scan of the uh, ship that uh, the Betazoid monitoring station caught a glimpse of, they know what to look for. They do. Again, it'll be interesting. You know, you think back to the pack led threat and how that, um, how that had a big impact on its season indeed into the, into the, the next season with the trial and all of that. Um, I'm not quite sure how to chart out, this second half of the season here uh in terms of its pacing clearly that will pick up i'll just while we're talking about the second half of the season i'll put my my hopes out there that we get perhaps you know we came into this season with the strange new worlds lower decks crossover i'm gonna hope and pray maybe before this season is over we get some sort of uh lower decks um discovery crossover they were in Canada as it was, Pete. It would have been easy enough to be like, now go stand on this set. We'll film Sonequa later when she's, you know, when she's around for her show. Stand here and say, wow, what's this? Or, oh, no, here it goes again. That sort of thing. With that, Pete, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. To Twitter we go, Pete, where we had the following rather cheeky poll, if you don't mind. Uh, if you had to be trapped on the bridge with some gals from Beta Z, who would you choose? Uh, Pete, 9.1% said Dolorex. 0% said Catrot. 0% said Cathyu. Uh, 90.9%, almost 91% said, why not be trapped with all three? Thank you very much. Some replies on Twitter. James the Sagacious, Big Killin' says uh this one was great for me because Talyn is my favorite character the episode also doesn't lack for humor and it moves the mystery baddie plot along spiderham lincoln at tess lc139 says my vote would have been for none of the above this episode had some amusing moments but for me it was the weakest of season four so far Talyn got some good character development but i likely won't watch it again uh, I'm also not on board the koala ship train just yet. So, Pete, let's give him and all an update. How are you feeling about your your notion from last week that the mystery ship is related to the koala somehow? Only more cemented that Betazoid intelligence, that the empathic police 
are on this threat of something that uh, Boimler experienced in a near-death experience. Uh, Pete agreeing with Spider-Ham Lincoln is Diana Bodenberg, who says, I'd have to agree with Spider-Ham Lincoln here. It definitely wasn't their best. The episode was a little meh for me. I had a couple of laughs and would definitely party with those beta Zeds, but it's no moopsie. That, that's the <laughs> new lower deck scale. Moopsie. Yeah, is it a moopsie? Uh, last tweet, Pete, comes from Ed Hopkins. That's at Ed Hopkins 72. Slightly off topic, but I listened to the Shuttle Pod show this week, and we've been saying Terry Matalis wrong. It's Metalis, almost like metallic. Now that you know, uh, and knowing is half the battle. So, uh, Pete, Terry Metalis, who I'm still looking to find those posts on Instagram where he's supporting the writer's strike, but I know Terry Matalis is a big fan. <laughs> Of Terry Madalus doing Star I know Trek there Legacy. Are people who are like, oh, we've we've got to get him work before he has other work. Yeah, um, it will. Look, I don't think I think that the expense of Star Trek Legacy and its cast precludes it being made in the current financial situation, Star Trek situation, streaming situation, so forth. It's going to be much cheaper to decommission discovery sets reuse some of them call it star trek academy in the 33rd century hire a bunch of fresh-faced less expensive people who aren't coming from the walking dead or the only person ever to play seven of nine you know just kind of like non-legacy people um again this is from a business perspective i'd love i'd love more discovery i'd love more um star trek legacy i would hold out hope that the academy show probably part Probably some people from Discovery will be on the Academy show if the money can be worked out. You know, do you recur at the rate we want to pay you and so forth and so forth. But um, but Pete, I know Terry Metalis, like I said, a big fan of Terry Metalis. Um, in fact, I'm going to look on his uh, Instagram right now. I'm sure he has stuff where he talks about how happy he is about the writer's strike being um, uh, resolved. So, um. I'm gonna find it, Pete. Maybe that's for next week. Is to find, to find. We got twelve Muppets. He's gonna post about. He's gonna post about the writer's strike being resolved soon. I'm sure he will. It was a week ago, Pete. This entire journey could not have been made possible without those who support us on Patreon.com/slash/FantasticGeek. So our thanks to them. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, all sorts of levels to contribute at, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute this month? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or a review to any of our 34, soon to be 35 podcast feeds. And Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going, which again, reminder, Star Trek Sundays will remain despite Ahsoka wrapping up. Loki starting, New York Comic Con, the whole nine yards. Star Trek Sundays will remain on Star Trek Sundays. So let's keep that conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on social media? You can find me on Twitter, on threads, now on Blue Sky Social at Peter J. Kedlar. Peter, P I E T E R J. Kedlar, K E T E L 
AAR 12,654 followers and more across those three platforms. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and threads. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash fantastic geek, all one word with the P and the H like it today. As mentioned before, we're back tomorrow on the Pop Culture Podcast feed for our preview of Loki season two. Back on Star Wars Saturday for the Ahsoka season finale. Back on Star Trek Sunday for Lower Decks episode 406. And then one more Marvel Monday after that on October 9th for Loki episode 201. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. It's Romulan Ale o'clock somewhere. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?